Barney's doesn't guarantee success. Vogue doesn't guarantee success. What guarantees success is if you actually find an audience that actually loves your product. We've been very slow to change in terms of how technology has impacted our lives. A new social network can pop up overnight and completely change our business model. Hello and welcome to the Glossy Podcast, our weekly show where we discuss fashion, luxury, and technology with the people making change happen. I'm Glossy Senior Reporter Hillary Milnes, and with me this week is Jenny Bike, the founder of Orchard Mile. Thank you so much for coming in, Jenny. Yeah, it's so great to be here with you. Of course. You sat through a little bit of our AV technical difficulties, but we are on track. I've been very impressed <laughs> with your skills in fixing it. Uh, so I wanted to talk with you first about when you were starting Orchard Mile, I, tell us about how you convinced brands, hey, here's this new platform and you know, you should sell with us. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, that's a really fun question because oftentimes when people are talking about their startups, they make it sound really easy that, you know, it was a flood of offers from all these brands to come onto Orchard Mile. We actually, um, what's interesting about Orchard Mile is that we were funded from day one from a lot of retail veterans. Mm -hmm. So we spent that money actually building a custom platform that would require zero IT integration from any of the brands to come on. And so what that means in layman's terms is that technically I can open up a brand store on Orchard Mile and basically clone their website, bring it into one digital environment, which is ours, without a single minute of their tech team's time and marketing team's time. Mm -hmm. Now, the reason I'm going into this is that that is actually how we got a lot of these brands to sign on because the proof is really in the pudding. Because when people say zero integration, brands are often pitched by a lot of vendors, right? And they all say, oh, it's just a single line of code and don't worry about this. But actually, it's false most of the time. And they are very wary of another platform or another thing that they have to manage. So being able to go into the meeting and say, listen, we don't have a digital footprint yet, but our technology is seamless. It's really amazing. Mm -hmm. Check this out. And when we went in to go present to Oscar Lorenza, we had already opened up their shop on our staging site and they were kind of amazed they said oh my goodness did you hack us how did you do this <laughs> and you know technology has advanced so far that it's it's that kind of demo that actually gets people over the line mm -hmm. that's that's really interesting so what what year was this were brands not selling or, or did you reach out to brands who didn't have their own online stores or didn't have really good online stores you know how did you kind of say like oh well the way you're doing it isn't actually that great for a user <laughs> yeah no we actually didn't use that criteria we used um what brands would we love to shop you mm -hmm. know and what full collections are not being bought by the wholesale um, community, right, of channels. And so we felt there was an underrepresentation of a lot of these brands' collections, which are so beautiful. I mean, you know, my prior um, experience was at running strategy at Burberry Americas, and we often ran against that as well. You know, um, Burberry creates amazing creations, not just the trench coat, but mm -hmm. where can you buy those items? Um, really creating a platform to show full collections one destination was the idea. And that's, it's interesting because brands are really reconsidering their wholesale strategies right now. And uh, yeah, you've written a lot about that. Yeah, we have. <laughs> uh, and, you know, even considering when they put things on sale in terms of when they show. And so wh where do you fit in that conversation? And, and how did you kind of look at the model and say, ah, there's a better way to do this? And is it just more flexibility, a little bit of kind of just rethinking the, the entire experience from scratch? You know, 
everyone looks at the e-commerce landscape and they say, wow, everything's already been done under the sun. And I actually think that's a shame because what I believe is happening is that there is a lowest common denominator of e-commerce that is happening. Everyone looks at the leaders like Amazon and says, well, if I can't do it as well as Amazon, there's really no point in trying to do anything different, actually, because that's the gold standard. Mm -hmm. And we really think that at least in this landscape, I spent a long time at Burberry really looking at third-party platforms and what is possible. And that was the burgeoning days of sort of List and Farfetch and all those types of platforms and we were thinking this endless aisle that we often kind of fantasize about like to have those iPads in stores and everything and to really present the endless aisle which is what a lot of retailers are doing could you create a platform that enabled almost a double exposure of a brand's own e-commerce platform so I'm sorry their own their own site Mm -hmm. that would basically be able to better attract traffic than the brand could themselves Mm -hmm. so every brand today is trying to be more and more like Warby Parker we all know that direct to consumer is a huge huge buzzword mm-hmm. but a lot of brands are just not set up for that like and what i mean for that by that is that they to do, to be really good at digital marketing you have to have a couple of digital ninjas on staff and that skill set has become so specific so black belty that basically the big tech companies are usurping all that talent so mm-hmm. if you're a small brand and you can't afford to pay the big dollars of a really great seo person or even a great agency how do you compete for share of voice and share of mind in this world mm-hmm. it's very difficult so we're trying to build a shared services model where we do have access to that talent but we use it in on behalf of the brands that we have on our platform mm-hmm. That's, I think, such a big contention in the industry right now is that fashion, are you a fashion company? Are you a tech company? And, and how do you hire that talent? And Because you have to be everything right now. And I'm glad you brought up Amazon because I feel like on this podcast, it inevitably comes up at some point. Of course. <laughs> and uh, But you know what, what Amazon <coughs> isn't really doing is having that luxury feeling e-commerce experience for fashion brands. And so when you, were, when you talk to brands, like are Does Amazon come up? Are they like considering it? Where do they, how do they decide where, who to give control to? Because I feel like when it comes to direct to consumer, the control over the customer experience is the appeal, but do you have the the, the resources to do that? And then, you know, so, okay, you don't. And so who do you partner with? Who is worthy of their trust really? That's right. So with Amazon, I think brands are very reticent to say they're actually thinking about Amazon, even though it's the elephant in the room and everyone's Mm -hmm. thinking about Amazon, let's be honest. (laughs) So to really say, you know, this, the luxury space will be the last one to get on Amazon. Let's, um, let's be totally honest. And actually when someone said to me, wow, you're going to, you're going to do a um, platform in the fashion space. That sounds really hard. Like, how are you going to compete against Amazon? The one area that is quite defensible, actually, is um, luxury commerce. Mm -hmm. And I think the reason for that, if you really look at the structural um, dimensions, is that there's a lot of counterfeit products on Amazon. There's a lot of gray market product, which I know that they've been trying to clean up. Mm -hmm. Maybe they'll get there, maybe they won't. But until they get there, eventually they will. Mm you know, brands are looking for alternatives that will provide data. So we actually have a very a unique and sort of different point of view about how data sharing and how to empower brands. So basically what we do is we try to allow brands to be themselves. So all the images on Orchard Mile are the brand's images. It's the way that they shot and styled them. We don't shoot anything ourselves because we think the brand should express 
what it was meant to be about. And similarly with consumers, um, we, we can talk about the My Mile feature in a minute, but it's really about letting them be themselves, right? And really facilitating a dialogue between the two. Mm-hmm. And that is something that a marketplace has not done ever to date. And we're kind of tackling it. We're doing a lot of data sharing between those two parties so we can make that experience better. We don't want to own product. We're a marketplace, so we're completely drop shipped. Mm-hmm. We don't necessarily even want to own the customer, which I know sounds crazy, mm-hmm. but we do want to own that experience that is so unique and differentiated. Absolutely. So, so tell us about my mile. It's your personalized, um, which you know the, that <laughs> word, street. Yes, yes. yeah, the shopping street. So, how did you uh, really make it, make it feel like a luxury experience for for someone online? Yeah, I think a lot of um, shopping platforms are often built by people really in their own heads. They're not really thinking about the way the consumer shops, and so really, when you have 92 pages of black dresses who is really going to go through all of that and Mm -hmm. that's the thing about the endless aisle that people don't really think about they just think about oh this is going to pop an seo we're going to have so many black dresses and so many chances for a conversion but the thing is is that there's that whole paradox of choice that Mm -hmm. we've talked about right Right. and that too many choices actually reduce the chances for a conversion so my mile is a way for women or you know and hopefully eventually we'll branch out into different verticals but to really think about it's about picking your favorite brands and also the categories within those brands. So you might really love Oscar de la Renta earrings, but maybe you're not, you don't have the disposable income yet to buy Oscar de la Renta dresses mm-hmm. or perhaps temporarily clutches and not necessarily their shoes. So it's all of those preferences that women inherently have in their shopping behavior. And also once you save your default size, the site remembers you. So you never have to see product that is not relevant to you. It's a constantly updated stream of what you just picked there. And it's your selection. You're the curator. You're the editor is what we say. And basically right now there's a flip the bookcase feature where you can actually uh, see all those designers products within new arrivals, or you can just pick sale and it literally flips Mm -hmm. and it's just the sale product from there so it's quite you know it's a way to curate based on consumer preferences rather than a buyer's preferences Mm -hmm. which is kind of the old way of doing it yeah so as a on on your end on the company's end you know did you have to sort of decide like how do you put the customer in charge because I feel like a lot of times in in fashion it's it's very you want to be curated you want to have that that buyer's point of view um so how do you make sure that you're getting the full collection from from brands and then narrowing it down for the customer like do you argue is it is it just sort of like stepping aside yeah i think there's a balance right so we're very careful that we again support the brand story they're all of their the runway shows are available on our site you can shop through instagram directly on our platform so we curate the kinds of brands or the types of brands that we have Mm -hmm. we often turn down brands probably every other day who would like to be on the platform but that are not the right fit for our customer but really the brands need to release control a little bit because what's happening and they don't even realize this is that across the affiliate landscape, they're already everywhere. So when people talk about, when brands talk about they don't want to be over-distributed, unfortunately, no one's listening because, (laughs) you know, the internet is the Wild West and it's impossible to control. So you have to be part of that conversation. You have to be able to participate 
And My Mile effectively is a way for them to, for the brands actually, to get data about what consumers are wanting to see from them, Mm -hmm. what their cross-shop behavior is, what other items, how they wear this item. So it's just really a treasure trove of data that if they knew how to use it well, it could really behoove their business. Mm -hmm. And and so you're the ones who are saying, oh, here's here's this customer data, here's what it means, here's how to use it. And and so what's behind the scenes for, for My Mile? You know, how do you really make sure that someone is getting, you know, the, the types of, of content and, and items that they want to see, because it's one of those things where if it's supposed to be personalized and it's not really suiting them, they're, they're probably just going to leave. Absolutely. And I've seen a lot of examples of personalization gone wrong, and it's better just to not do it then mm-hmm. than to shoot um, a woman's dress to a guy who happened to be shopping for his wife one time mm-hmm. and actually is <laughs> mostly into men's clothing. So we do it in two ways. So Um, When you first go to My Mile right now, it's an explicit drop-down kind of choosing questionnaire. So I'm a size four in most of these um, designers, and here are the designers I like and the categories within those designers that I like. And it's pretty seamless. You can kind of do this in like less than a minute. Um, You know, there's also the idea of clickstream behavior. So that's implicit data. Um, and so the explicit questions come first and the implicit questions we observe every single click that the consumer does mm-hmm. within that my mile experience and so you can start to be better at suggesting items and what's interesting about the way that we approach it is that if you already have a black shoe we know you bought one we're not going to shoot you another black shoe because mm-hmm. in fashion you there's a less likelihood that you want another black shoe which is very different sometimes than the personalization engines that I've seen in right different e-commerce sites. Right. Is the word personalization over overused to you or do you think it's just sort of being abused? Um, well, when I use the word personalization, I actually mean um, the idea of service. Mm-hmm. And service has been the differentiator, the definition of luxury in the past, and like the royal courts and bespoke, you know, clothing. <laughs> and then yesterday, right, in the 90s and 2000s, and then, you know, today. It's, it's it, and tomorrow, by the way. So when I think about personalization, it's about the anticipation of need, not someone explicitly telling me as the curator of Orchard Mile what they want. I want to know that they're going to a beach wedding and be able to anticipate all the things that they love based on the designers that they like. Mm-hmm. So that's the idea of service online to me and also really support supporting that with the offline service as well and offline marketing events and you know that's what what luxury is today mm-hmm. is the idea of really really um, anticipatory service. Right. And, and and so going back to data and, and the amounts that, that you're sifting through and, and using, what uh, do the brands want to know? And, you know, what can you, what do you share with them and what, you know, are they sort of interested in the most? You know what? The questions have not been, to be perfectly honest, that interesting. They, um, you know, it's been pretty basic about, you know, where does she live? All the kind of stuff you can get off Google Analytics. You know, what are the most popular categories? What's the price point? Mm -hmm. But I think as more and more brands become more educated about this, the questions will, will indeed, you know, get up the learning curve and be much more interesting. So more than who actually bought from me, What's a more interesting question is, who actually looked at my product and didn't buy? And Mm -hmm. what else did they buy instead of my product, right? Right. What did I not deliver? The lost sale is a much more interesting question. Right. And you guys have that. 
Yes. And you know. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely do. Uh, and, and do you think that goes back to just the ways that brands have always thought about the customer and, and just don't, didn't even realize that they could have access to that information? Or is it just the lack of people in charge of learning that? Uh, is, there, is it just sort of like ignorance is bliss? <laughs> I don't think it's ignorance. I think it's more just they – I think there's still a gap between what they – they're used to learning offline and bridging that gap and knowing there's and just knowing what is possible online mm-hmm. and to really push that boundary in the best way that they can. Um, so, you know, I don't think it's, it's necessarily ignorance. It's just not being used to that environment yet. Right. And, you know, going back to, uh, you mentioned you don't carry inventory. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going, you're, you're opening up these online stores basically within Orchard Mile. And, you know, did you think about being a retailer versus a marketplace? Um, well, you know, why was this model more appealing? Yeah, no, I never once thought about holding inventory. <laughs> it's that, just, that whole mess. Yeah, it's just it's because I'm I don't have that skill set. Like I, you know, listen, I worked at Burberry. I was not a merchant. Mm-hmm. Um, you would have to hire people who are really able to predict what's going to hit. And I actually feel quite sorry for most buyers today because it's it's almost impossible to predict like, you know, that Kendall Jenner is going to be carrying the purple Fendi bag instead of the black one. And then you should have ordered 3,000 more of those. It's, it's a tough, tough game. And so for me, it's much more interesting to learn about behavior in a sort of blank slate environment when it, when there is the full collection available and see sort of these micro trends and micro influences pop in different parts of the country mm-hmm. and start to market against that. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. It's definitely the buyer's dilemma uh, in, right now is how much the customer is at the center of the conversation and how much just something like Instagram plays a much bigger role than it used to ever. And so, and you know, going back to your time at Burberry, like, do you think that see now, buy now is the answer in terms of, and now where you're positioned as, you know, sort of like the, the marketplace, where do you see the most, like, at what point is the customer looking at the runway, going to the store? Is that all changing? And, and how are these department stores or brands going to figure that out? Yeah. So I was on a panel recently and I took a stance, a pretty hard stance that data can do a lot of things, but it can't create genius. So meaning, could you have created the new Gucci collection based on a set of data about what consumers have bought in the past and what they may or may not buy in the future? I don't think so. I think that's just, you know, something you can't bottle that stuff, right? It's Mm -hmm. just inspiration Mm -hmm. and it happened to be a moment in time now how those trends get filtered into other collections perhaps is much more data driven so where brands can actually learn from i think what you know or actually optimize on what they can do better is just looking at you know perhaps distribution like different areas where things might pop you know more so than other areas um and also really not ignoring the middle of the country Mm -hmm. because i think you know with obviously we you've you and i have talked about the death of malls right Mm -hmm. and so what's happening is that all of the brands are focusing on their flagship cities and the malls in the center of the country are closing, but there are lots of lot and lots of fashionable women in the middle of the country. I grew up in Texas. You can probably hear it every once in a while when I'm speaking. <laughs> but it's it's amazing that the pops that we're seeing in like Laredo, Texas, are just massive, massive carts. Mm-hmm. And it's because the local Bloomingdale shut down or whatever it is. So you know those people are deserve to be served in the way that perhaps you know the the coasts are, mm-hmm. and they have the same influences. Perhaps they're on Instagram. They're all all on the same media 
media channels. So being able to share a lot of that data back with brands and really empower them to identify these pockets. Maybe there's a pop-up shop that happens in Laredo, Texas. You never right. know. And they never would have thought about it. Right. And and do you think that opens the the path for you guys to be more of a of a an integral partner for for brands as they're sort of navigating their their distribution strategies going forward? Yeah, we actually don't think of ourselves as a channel. We think of ourselves as a cooperative. Mm -hmm. So every brand that joins Orchard Mile needs to bring something to the table that the other brands can't. Oh, yeah. Like what? <laughs> <laughs> so maybe it's maybe a brand has an incredible social following, but their sales are not great, or maybe their search volume isn't great. We took a chance on this woman named Marion Park, who has a relatively nascent shoe line. She used to be a podiatric surgeon and started making heels that were actually good for women, and they have you know they're built structurally to support the foot in a different way. Mm -hmm. And really being able to tell that story in an interesting way has been able. She's got great brand fans who also have shopped different brands, including hers, on Orchard Mile. So it's about growing the pie together rather than sort of this pitting each brand against each other. Yeah, and I, I think that's what ends up happening a lot of the time. Uh, brands are worried about who they're next to, uh, and and that's <laughs> she just rolled her eyes. <laughs> it's the high school lunch table right. over and over again, right? And especially yeah. when you look out at the landscape, you have platforms like Spring, you have a Farfetch who's you know gunning after Amazon, um, and and really focused on building their technology side, uh, and then you know LVMH launching their e-commerce mm -hmm. platform twenty four seven. So. Does when you look out at that, how, does it re reaffirm what you guys are doing, or does it, you know, how do you make sure that you're constantly differentiating as well? Yeah, so I'm a firm believer that a rising tide lifts all boats, and this is happening whether or not people want to believe that e-commerce is growing as a part of, um, you know, overall penetration, um, you know, 50% of luxury sales will eventually be done on marketplaces. Mm -hmm. So, and that's not including Amazon, obviously. Mm -hmm. So we're pretty excited about that number and, and joining that, you know, wave. Um, overall, we're not, I, I loved your interview with, um, who was it? The guy from Matches. Oh, Tom Chapman. Yes. And he talks about, I don't actually really think about Amazon because uh -huh. that's not, the magic is missing there. Right. Do you think he's lying? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I think he's lying. But similarly, if you're not built just like Amazon, you can't continue to worry about what the big behemoth is doing. You have to pick a different tack mm -hmm. or else you'll never win. Right. And and I think when it comes to to Amazon's problem, they don't they don't have. And I feel like I've already said this, but they don't have any trust. the The fashion brands are wondering, like, why would I sell to you when you're building your own brands? And and you might just be looking at what works for me and what doesn't, and using that to undermine me. So I think it goes back to what you're saying. Like everyone has to work together to to improve the platform. Um, but at the same time, do you think it? People always say that. Amazon can kind of do anything eventually that it puts its mind to. Sure. So, but do you know, are fashion brands, do you think they're smart to hold out then? L listen, I think the one worrisome thing about Amazon is the price control and pricing is super, super important mm -hmm. to any brand and maintaining the price premium, especially the idea of luxury is built around that. Um, you know, I, I guess it's, it's to be seen what's going to happen, but overall, um, Brands should be educated about what Amazon is doing, mm -hmm. but not necessarily feel like it's the end all be all. Like you have, like it's a foregone conclusion, right? Because I'm sure it's on the on the brand side. You're looking at the 
at marketplaces at, at e-commerce retailers online and it's do you go everywhere how do you choose i think that would be an interesting conversation and, and, and how did your time at burberry kind of inform you as to what an online marketplace experience should look like yeah i mean what it really did more than anything else is provide a lot of empathy for how I would speak to brands because mm-hmm. I understood what was important. Sometimes it's not about cash today. It's actually about protecting brand equity tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was an analyst in banking, um, I was covering this glass company called San Goban. And I called the CFO and I said, listen, you missed your last quarter. Like, what's going on? Can you give us a little bit more color about the next quarter? And he screamed at me in French, actually, <laughs> saying, you know, it's a... Uh, my my company has been around longer than your country so oh, wow. how dare you <laughs> question me he's clearly going through some things so, right <laughs> but that same idea that you know the length of time and how immediate americans are about wanting profit today mm-hmm. is not necessarily how luxury brands think about it mm-hmm. especially the heritage brands right so understanding that and really reassuring a lot of our heritage brands that we're not going to destroy your brand equity we're not going to do anything like you know um kind of alter your campaign photos or make you look super promotional Mm -hmm. the adjacencies even though i did kind of joke about the high school lunch table those are very sensitive and they're important and it's important to respect their wishes Mm -hmm. so really working together with the brands is our approach Right. And, and so how does pricing work? Do you guys, um, you know, toy with that at all? Or is it all coming from the brand? Um, there are sites. Yeah. So we don't compete on price, which is sometimes what people say is crazy. <laughs> like, wow. How do you do a marketplace and you don't compete on price? But what we want to do is compete on experience and compete on discovery. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people think that marketplaces can't achieve a discovery feeling and we want to prove them wrong. Mm-hmm. And going back to that, that customer experience and discovery, how does, how, you know, what are you looking at when it comes to mobile, when it comes to uh, social platforms? I feel like, you know, here Instagram is such a huge uh, inspiration platform, but, you know, how how do you drive those conversions? And then you have, uh, you know, in other countries, WeChat is, is the only place that people shop for brands. And so are you looking globally? And, and how does that sort of, um, you know, decide where you're sort of putting your, your customer experience forward in terms of social platforms and, and mobile That's a good question. So already a lot of our traffic and actually the ones that are more likely to buy happen to be international, which has surprised me because we don't market anywhere, but it's inside the US. Mm -hmm. Um, There's just much more latent demand, Mm -hmm. especially in Asian countries. And of course, like if we do expand to China, WeChat will be the first stop. I think you, but you have to be careful with with going global. Like obviously, pricing is um, very sensitive for a lot of the brands, as I mentioned. So we have to think about that. And certainly, your question about mobile, I got a lot of pushback in the very beginning about why aren't you guys launching a mobile app? Why aren't you mobile first? Mm-hmm. And I said honestly, for a new brand and a new company, val- your phone is valuable real estate. Are you really going to? download the Orchard Mile app today, if it just enables e-commerce, right. it has to do something different. Mm-hmm. It has to be a wow experience for you to launch a very successful mobile app that people actually talk about and keep on their phone. Mm-hmm. Because the worst scenario is that someone downloads the Orchard Mile app and says, wow, this really does nothing. And, and then never opens it again. <laughs> exactly. And just deletes, deletes it. it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it, but what about the mobile web? So are, are you focused there? Yeah, we've always been responsive from day one. Mm-hmm. So that was very important to us. Mm-hmm. And, and when it comes to like luxury shopping, is that where 
like how much is, is actually happening on mobile? I think it depends what country you're speaking about. Uh-huh. Um, but overall, I think the the last stat I saw was about 50-50 mm-hmm. um, with actually um, the Asian countries leading in mobile. That's And, and that's not even just searching because I, mm-hmm. so many companies are like, oh, we see the traffic and then it just falls off. Um, do you think that that is like the case for like the universal cart where you can shop all these different brands? Um, you know, how much are you just like sort of obsessing over customer behavior and, and where that's all happening. Yeah, it definitely keeps me up at night. <laughs> we look at it every day. We film every session mm-hmm. that happens on our site. Obviously not you and your eye movements. Yeah. So that would be creepy and yeah. very Edward Snowden, but more of the mouse movements that are happening. Mm-hmm. And if there are any uh, fall offs in the customer experience, we want to be able to identify it, identify it in real time and be able to fix it. Mm-hmm. So we have, you know, hundreds and thousands of those sessions filmed yeah. and we're <laughs> very much going through them. Yeah. I just think about the times I'm like, I put things in my shopping cart and then I'm just indecisive and then I just abandon it forever and probably drives people crazy (laughs) no it's 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 um it's what everyone does actually and to have that because we're real time to say in the moment actually this product is sold out of your cart this product is sold out of your cart is actually really important because then you just don't waste time like Mm -hmm. kind of thinking oh I could have that in my cart forever and then you realize oh wait I need a purple dress for my friend's wedding and oh, where am I going to get it now? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So how much, um, you know, you were talking about personalization in terms of how the site is sorted, mm-hmm. but what about even just t- how you talk to customers? And, and you mentioned, you know, you're only marketing in the U.S., but when you are a marketplace, what's your brand and how is that sort of playing out? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. So we had um, a lot of debate about this and we do a lot of offline marketing events not to sell things. But we approach it differently. We think of it as a touch point for email acquisition mm-hmm. and to get people familiar with the brand. So actually last weekend, we were hauling boxes and moving things for the Montauk Beach House. We took over the Montauk Beach House, which is kind of a fun pool party scene um, out in the Hamptons last weekend. And it was just, you know, our customer, we wanted her and him and perhaps him, to know about Orchard Mile. All the brands participated, so meaning they actually gave us free product to put in these deluxe Orchard Mile tote bags, which we branded as Orchard Mile, and we put in every single guest room multiple mm-hmm. of these tote bags. So it was just like a cool gift. Obviously, there was an Orchard Mile gift card in there. And then at the pool, we actually um, gave away a pretty awesome either bag or caftan or something every 30 minutes, Mm -hmm. but you had to text to win. And that was an email acquisition campaign. Right. So, um, you know, it's it's kind of interesting to approach it that way rather than that that typical clothing rack where people are just selling, you know, Mm -hmm. random things. Like that doesn't feel very exciting or new. Mm -hmm. So it's a brand awareness play right now. Uh, And, you know, we're almost out of time, but as you guys are, you know, going into the rest of the year and and, and shaping out um, the My Mile feature and everything like that, what do you think is table stakes today if you had to call out one uh, use of technology or or just any sort of part of e-commerce that that you are focusing and putting all your energy towards at the moment? Uh, I think one-to-one segments Mm -hmm. is really important. To bucket everyone as a downtown diva or (laughs) an uptown preppy is very, 
you know, it's it's using a hammer to sculpt Michelangelo, and that's all you have. Right. <laughs> I mean, you're not going to win, you yeah. know. And so you can see now the consumer is very savvy, and they know when that email has been too broadly segmented mm-hmm. just by age. It's by demographic and not psychographic. And I'm very, very passionate about this idea that it needs to be yours and mm-hmm. yours only. So your version of Orchard Mile should not look anything like my version of Orchard Mile. Mm-hmm. And that should continue to become much more finely defined. Right. And that's that's where uh, artificial intelligence comes in. Absolutely. For personalization. Uh, you know, it's a big topic. For it us. is. It <laughs> is. I can't wait to see what you write about it. Yeah. We'll have to keep talking. Uh, well, thank you so much, Jenny. Really enjoyed the conversation. Absolutely. Great. Thank and, you. Yep. And thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. And in the meantime, be sure to follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play and leave us any feedback you have. <laughs>